Welcome, campers. Settle in tight, for tonight you're in for a fright. Welcome, campers, and happy Halloween! This is Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling presents Friday Night Fright. We're your hosts, I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. We're going to tell some scary stories. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Sorry, I switched, I switched it up a little bit on that, uh, that opening. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. We, um, this is the last Friday Night Fright of October. Yes, it is. So. Last chance to get your your socks spooked off before before the Halloween. Yeah, and do yourself a favor. Go out and enjoy this Halloween on us. I mean, we're not gonna pay for it. <laughs> we're not but... gonna pay for it. No, but <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna root you on. <laughs> so Absolutely, have a good Halloween on us at your your expense. <laughs> Let All our right, voices so, lead you into the holiday. Yeah, do that. Yeah, there we I'm go. Into that, and then you know what? No, but it's, show all your friends, and then those Halloween parties you're at, just let them listen to the whole show. Like, just put yeah. this on in the background on, on their phones. <laughs> yeah, Make on their phones. To exactly. On each of their individual. Just devices. pull up their phones, sub to the show, and then leave a review. That is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then tell them, tell us how much you love us. <laughs> tell them to tell us. All right, I'm not asking yeah. for that. Just uh, you know, basically what you what you just explained is um, on last podcast on the left they use a term called magustulations, which means in their lexicon it means congratulations for liking me. Yeah, yeah. That's like that's one of those things where it's like, oh, it's so nice to see you, and you're like, thanks, it's nice to be seen. <laughs> right yeah my dad always did that like <laughs> it's one of my favorites we would leave his house and he would go like i'm glad you got to see me today yep exactly <laughs> yeah so yeah you're welcome awesome. <laughs> no but for real thanks for listening and uh you know as per the happy halloween ritual tell all your friends yeah classic <laughs> that's, that's a ritual yeah <laughs> a happy halloween ritual at that it is the um you know this is kind of the opening to halloween weekend right exactly friday night yeah it's um i mean yeah, so some spooky shit's gonna happen this weekend yeah absolutely the veil will be thinned it will be i'm ready are you ready yeah i'm Heck fucking yeah. ready we're gonna bring it in man that thin veil where everything can seep through for depending on you know how long they want to stay 
We'll leave yeah. it open. Exactly. Yeah, we and we're going to hear some stories tonight, at least one of, of, of some, some thin veil action. Excellent. Yeah. We're also going to hear, uh, you know, possible uh, alternate realities. So. Different kind of veil. Yeah. All right. Exactly. So let's get spooky, guys. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm into it. You ready? I'm I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm so ready. All right. <laughs> All right. Cue that spooky music. Adelaide Cemetery. Death was accompanied by the patter of nurses' rubber-soled shoes, marching briskly along linoleum floors. The smell of antiseptic solution. A gurney wheel, in need of oil, squeaking rhythmically as another patient was rushed past. Starchy white sheets, and the sharp and angular shape of nurses' headdresses. My body revolted against the crisp order and violent expulsions of browns, greens, and yellows against the bleached hospital whites. Veins stood out on my small, pale neck, and spittle flew from my mouth as I screamed. The cool bedsheets, tucked with neat and stern hospital corners, were twisted into angry, damp knots against my writhing body. I am ordinarily a neat and demure person, so you can imagine my cringing and horror at this loud, violent, and messy departure. I shudder when my mind invariably drifts to remember it. I am happily brought back to the present by the distant iron clang of the cemetery gate. There's a reassuring and settled sameness about death, a contentment, cool, mossy, and stone-strewn, calm and painless. Life was harder, stressful. My father worked long days in crumbling mining tunnels, cut deep into the earth. He would return with his face etched deeply with coal dust, collapsing into wheezy snores on the small, hard bed. I remember, too, my mother's mouth, tight-lipped with constant worry, and concealing two chipped front teeth. I remember my baby brother screaming with hunger and cold. The frigid earth was chipped open by large-shouldered men with axes and spades when that brother died before the spring melt. Of course, there were some joyous moments. Things I recollect with nostalgia. There is one thing I remember with a thrill of excitement. Alice Aldridge. And I, on the summer morning... The air was already thick, humid, and buzzing with crickets as we ran to the creek. It was our favorite place in summer, this particular spot, where the water gathered, cool and shaded, in a gurgling pool of deep stone. That day, for the first time, we swam naked. Our girlish squeals were loud. We were exhilarated by the naughtiness of it, with the thrilling and mortifying possibility that someone might appear suddenly and see us. You know, I could just imagine your girlish squeals. Thank you. (laughs) And the (laughs) naughtiness to them. Yeah, exactly. It's about to get naughty. Oh, all right, let's bring it. Yeah, strap in. (laughs) When we got out to dress on the warm rocks, I turned to watch as she emerged, serpentine in life, from the water. Beautiful was the thought that arrived unbidden but suddenly completely obvious into my mind we were no longer squealing or giggling 
droplets slid over her small round breasts. Her nipples were nut brown and bunched tightly and sharply from the cold water. <laughs> you weren't lying. I told you. You're painting the scene here. Yeah. For a terrifying and intoxicating moment, I imagined licking off the sliding droplets which rolled over her honey-colored skin. She watched me watching her. Her wet, dark eyelashes framed bold and knowing green eyes, like a bewitching goddess. It's different, now, to ascertain to what extent Alice Aldridge knew about my sudden and sincere desire to lick her beautiful young breasts. Because we both contracted cholera in the following days. She lived, and I died. I waited, aching, but Alice didn't arrive at Highgate Cemetery for another 60 years. As with all of the others, a pile of earth was disgorged for her, in dark and damp plots, worms struggling wetly in the too bright air. Her body was wrinkled and thin, but those sultry green eyes never, had never dimmed. She had married a man, liar, I thought, and had five children. I spent those first decades in hope, but she did not remain after death in a ghostly form, as I had. I remained alone. Sometimes I traced the name I had in life, Adelaide Quayle, 1898 to 1913, with a finger as translucent and light as a whisper. This simple summary of myself is etched in modest stone, now coated with moss. These days, my existence is mainly devoted to observing the predictable contours of the seasons. I sit for weeks on the shoulder of a stone angel to watch the snow gradually recede from sun-filled valleys. I observe the daisies, irrepressible, forcing their way through the frigid ground to greet the spring sun. I lie across the cracked stone of my own grave, and watch as raindrops hurtle toward the ground from tempestuous autumnal skies. I am contained here, by unknowable forces, to the cemetery and the surrounding forest. I have little influence on the world around me, except maybe a slight parting of the wind as it moves around me. I am impervious to dirt and mud, invisible even after bathing in stagnant September moose swamps, or lying across summer-baked dirt roads. On swirling, freezing winter mornings, my bare feet leave barely perceptible prints as I wander across the lightest drifts. I am unnoticed by all but the lightest and most alert insects and birds, which I can occasionally convince to briefly perch on my insubstantial form. I spend some of my time, in the warmer months, accompanying tour groups of motley children on school excursions. Modern people tend to burn their bodies, a morbid practice in my opinion. But it has had a positive effect of converting Highgate Hill Cemetery into more of a commemorative museum than an active cemetery. This is a relief to me. Although I am without a body, I am not without feelings. And I used to find the wailing of grieving widows and the cries of children at the graves of recently dead loved ones very distressing. I would stand with them as they cried, wearing an invisible expression of sober and respectful grief. Now, instead, I join the children as they crowd around information boards about local history, or in front of graves and mausoleums. 
on one information board entitled Coal Creek Settlement 1890 to 1957. There's a photo of some children from my schoolhouse, taken two years before I started there myself. They see us, but they don't really see us. These children of the present day. They've watched, mere inches from their faces, as they observe my contemporary. I can sense that understanding is lost somewhere in the color and the colorlessness of the black and white image, or in our straight faces. Smiling wasn't in vogue in photographs at the time or just by virtue of the clothing, which seems strange and old-fashioned to them. We're not so different, you know, I explain, although they don't hear me. The tour guide does nothing to help. My grave, for example, is used to describe the cholera epidemic which gripped the valley in the early 20th century. It was allegedly caused by the town's water supply running through the corpses of men crushed in a mining disaster. Not a fact that I reveled in finding out about. Well, there's more to know about me than that, I say, irritably. But this woman was born in 1981, so I can't blame her for knowing very little about history. There is a fir tree near my grave which outdates this alleged expert. She tells the children about my tragic death, at only 15 years of age. This death of mine, she points out, was one year before the outbreak of the Great War. This provides a convenient segue to shepherd the trotting children to the next stand of graves. Some days I find it insulting that my death is used as merely a pivoting point toward more important and famous deaths. But perhaps I'm being overly sensitive. The children by this point are usually glazed. This is unsurprising. How can children root themselves in the shifting sands of the past with facts and figures? 60 men dead in a mine collapse in 1913 at Coal Creek. 20 million dead in the First World War. Better to tell them that Bert Lawrence, visible in the front row of the schoolhouse photo, has a visibly wet nose because he cried on the first day of school. Or that the frizzy-haired Maggie Aldridge, middle right, sister of the aforementioned Alice, was in love with Thomas Woodburn, back right. Or that we would all have snowball fights outside the schoolhouse when school finished on the last day before our Christmas break. If only I could tell them, I think, with wicked glee, about Alice, wet breasts glistening, smiling at me with sultry confidence. Then they would understand, I think, that the young people in the faded photograph were not so different from themselves. On a cool autumn morning, one girl, from among another group of shuffling and sniffing schoolchildren, looked at my grave and said to no one in particular, Adelaide Quail, Adelaide, like the city in Australia, and Quail like the bird. Her alert green eyes regarded my name with interest. I felt seen, recognized, celebrated. Yes, I cried, unheard. Exactly, that's me. I followed the green-eyed girl, endeavoring to be helpful by giving unheard but correct answers to the questions on the worksheet secured in her clipboard. I reluctantly farewelled her when her group left through the wrought iron gates 45 minutes later. I obsessed over the minutiae of this meeting for glorious and delightful hours afterward. Imagine my shock and joy when the girl, my new Alice, walked through again only a week later, wrangling an exuberant golden puppy on a leash. I walked with him from one gate to the next, telling her about the changing of the seasons, about the hospital with its clean white surfaces about my family and about the schoolhouse. I told her that we could run together through the long grass once the weather warmed again, 
We could run to the creek. I could show her the spot, the cool, sheltered spot where the water is deep. The air would be hot, and we could drape our dresses on the warm rocks while we swam together. What's that weird look you're giving me? Just that I feel like she's trying to recreate what she had with uh, the other girl. Uh Uh-huh. With this little girl, and it's kind of getting unsettling a bit. I think you're, like, because the wording is school children. Right. Right? But it's, you know, she's she might the be, ghost is 15. Yeah. She, and yeah. she, you know. And the other girl yeah. might be. Around the same age, right. probably. That's, that's true. That's true. I guess yeah. I'm picturing, like, this young girl coming in and, yeah. you know. But, yeah. And, and also, it's, like, the first person that's acknowledged her. Yeah. You know, so that's that's also a lot bigger in this case. For sure. Definitely. The first sprinkling of snow dusted the tops of the immense distant ranges, an event I usually watch for, but I was too distracted to notice. Being unseen and unheard had previously only been a mild annoyance, but now it was torturous. Alice arrived most days in the evenings, dog on a leash, traveling from gate to gate, presumably as part of a larger loop. I screamed in agonized frustration each day as she left me, yearning to be seen, to be known, to touch and be touched. Inspiration came one morning when I observed a dew-covered spiderweb branching and complex, ordinarily invisible, but illuminated by its wetness in the bright morning sun. Nearby, a hummingbird was extracting nectar from a group of flowers. I hardened my heart and reached for the small bird, unsure what force my invisible fingers could produce. I was shocked as the hummingbird when I was able to grasp its tiny, almost weightless body. I twisted its neck decisively, raised it to my lips. My invisible and blunt but persistent teeth tore at the sinewy body. Feathers twisted and fluttered to the damp earth as warm, small organs burst against my lips. Blood and entrails ran down my chin, coating my mouth and face. The wait for her was torturous. I distractedly observed yellowed leaves fluttering to the ground from the oak tree on the hill. Finally, the light started to ebb from the afternoon, turning the sky into a dusty gray. I heard her approaching and stood at the gate's entrance. Willing my nervous mouth, the contours of which I hoped were now at least visible, to a smile of a greeting. At first I thought that my plan had failed. They were only a few steps away and continuing unconcernedly. Suddenly, though, the dog stopped, eyes fixed on my face and uttered a low growl. The girl, confused and worried, stopped as well. She looked at the dog and followed its gaze to the space where I stood in front of them. My smile widened. I was exhilarated by my scheme ready for the first time in over a century to be seen. My Alice stumbled backwards, her eyes wide and a scream beginning in her throat. There was a perfect moment before she ran, where we looked right into each other's eyes. Boom. So, the dog was able to sense her. Well, so this version of of a ghost is sort of... It's almost like invisible. Right. You know what I mean? It's yeah, not like 
it's not just ethereal. It's like it's more than that. Yeah, because she she was able to affect the hummingbird enough to kill it and use its smeared blood to sort of like when they throw paint on the Invisible Man. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that's true. That's true. So she basically just saw like a blood-covered face smiling at her, which would be absolutely terrifying. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, I understand. Like she's trying to basically get the attention, right? She's trying yeah. to get the attention. It's not like there's no ill will. There's no like, there's no negative intentions or anything like that. But she's trying to get. You know, just this girl to notice her, basically. There's also sort of a derangement that's obviously happened over decades and decades. Right, of, of course. Being, you know, unseen and being alone. And, mm -hmm. like, to the it, point where she doesn't realize that, like, a floating blood-smeared face is not, uh, might it's freak not a her positive out. thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like, that. that was my thought, like... You know, so yeah, I mean, of course, like yeah, she doesn't she doesn't understand that. It's been you know, she's been gone all this time and literally just waiting for somebody to acknowledge and then finally has this girl yeah. that does acknowledge her. And so she's trying everything she can to reciprocate. Be able to like reciprocate. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yep. For sure. So yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's that just like that human yearning for connection. Mm -hmm. It's kind of scary to think that that might not go away even with death. Exactly. And that's, and that's what I think of. Like, think of all this time that's passed. And you're, st I mean, you're still, in theory, this young 15 year old kid. Yeah. Right. This emotional being. Exactly. That, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you died at such a young age that, like, never really got to experience anything else never really got you yeah. know like so i mean yeah that way of thinking is still naive it's still very like childlike exactly so yeah, yeah it would be difficult to think otherwise and when all she's looking for is just a friend you know she's looking yeah, for somebody to fill that void right yeah that's crazy it's yeah. almost it's almost like eerie and creepy and tragic it is it is definitely for sure yeah that i mean that's what really like scares me you know like you often see the joke like um when like a, a workplace is haunted like yeah god you work your whole life and die and then you have to spend the afterlife at work also oh you know? dude oh yeah like imagine if you die and you're just stuck in your office Can I play video games? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, I I like this one. I like it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a really it's a really good way to go into this spooky weekend. Yeah, I mean, like, okay, so what I was trying to get at was like, people think about the afterlife classically, like everything is everything is perfect now, right? Like, you're content. Everything is settled. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this conception of heaven, of, like, there's no stress, there's no worry, nothing like that. But, like, imagine an afterlife where all of your, like, human compulsions and needs and 
all that are still present with you. You just can't fulfill them the way you did when you had a physical body. Yeah. I mean, just imagine how difficult that would be. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying. It really is. Like, it's just... Ugh. That's sort of a hell of its own. It, it is. It's almost like design, a, right? You're like stuck in like some like purgatory, like some, yeah. you know, some what an intermediate plane or whatever, where you you know you're you're seeing all these things continue on without you, and you're also yearning for all these things to be a part of of that continued like you know continued uh, progression that you know the world the world continues on afterwards. Yeah, I mean, it's like... And just, you're reaching out so much, so much, and yet falling so short. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, the, like, the story of Tantalus in Greek mythology, the one who, like, is, his punishment in Tartarus is, like, he has to, he's starving all the time, and he has an apple that's just out of reach. You know, like, it would be like that. Yeah, right? exactly. Like everything you need to fulfill your needs is right there. You just can't grab it. Mm-hmm. You can't attain it anymore. But you can see it. Like it's that close. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. It's right yep. there. Yeah. That'd be torture. That might be the scariest thing we've discussed. I know. I know. Yeah. Ah, all right. So what do you have for us, Ryan? Well, I, was gonna, I was gonna say, let's turn this around. Yeah. So tonight. To continue on with this spooky night and weird, weird stuff, uh, we have a story called Treehouse. I'm, I'm instantly brought to mind the you know Treehouse of Horror, the the Simpsons Halloween specials. Without further ado, you ready? Excellent. Let's get it. All right. My best friend Lewis and I were out biking our usual path through the woods like we did every Saturday of the summer. But this time, there was a new path that forked off from the other. It went into thick woods that we'd never explored because of the density of trees. But then, all of a sudden, there was a new bike trail. Lewis and I decided to double back and check it out. The path was clear and wide for the first several hundred meters. But it started narrowing. More and more roots were taking over the trail. Just as we were about to turn back, we saw a clearing ahead. And something large, hovering a dozen feet up. As we got closer, it became clear we were looking at a treehouse. A very well put together one at that. It had a wooden spiral staircase that led up to a wide octagon-shaped structure with cut-out windows. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen. Lewis and I approached it cautiously, figuring there was someone, or someone's, inside. Lewis, who was the braver and more adventurous, called out loudly with a simple, Hello? There was no response. No voices or shifts in movement or floorboards creaking. It was empty. Lewis was off his bike first and moved closer to the treehouse. 
I joined him, inspecting the impressive structure. But that wasn't close enough for Lewis. And before I knew it, he was halfway up the spiral staircase. This treehouse has a spiral staircase? Yeah. Holy shit. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty impressive tree treehouse, right? <laughs> Dude, how badass would it be as a kid, as like a young boy, to just stumble upon like this a spot like this? Awesome, like fortress? Yeah. Yes. It'd be super cool. Like, I remember the like, you know, giddy joy you would have just finding like a cool spot in the woods where like, oh, we can set up here. Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, imagine this, though. This is, like, to the furthest extent. I mean, we, were, we were, like, building forts in the woods and stuff. Like, oh, imagine yeah. having, like, just this baller-ass treehouse that yeah. is, like, untouched and, yeah. It's like a hidden gem. Yeah. Spiral staircase. Yeah. And I was following. Inside, there was a wide open space. The walls were covered with shelves filled with books and photographs. There were clothes hanging from hooks and folded in dressers. There were no people, though. It was just Lewis and I. Lewis noticed it first. I saw his eyes go wide as he looked around. The books, photographs, and clothes became familiar. I approached one of the walls. I was in all of the photos. The books were the same ones that lined the shelves in my room. As were the clothes hanging from hooks and folded in dressers. On the other side of the treehouse, Lewis was staring at his photos, books, and clothes. We backed up into each other in the middle of the room. I was the first one to stay it was time to leave but Lewis was already making his way to the trapdoor down that led to the staircase. Only, the trapdoor was no longer there. It was on the opposite side of the room. We climbed down the staircase to where we left our bikes, but they were gone. They weren't on the other side of the tree or tipped over nearby. They'd simply disappeared, or been taken. This posed a serious problem because of how deep we were in the woods. Not only were we on an unknown path, but the afternoon sun had vanished. We did another look around, unbelieving that someone, somehow, had stolen our bikes while we were in the treehouse for all of two minutes. But that's what it looked like happened. Still, we couldn't explain the contents of the treehouse. And at that moment, we weren't trying to. We started our way back down the trail on foot, but it was winding and curving more than on the way in. It took us an hour to get back to the main path. It took us another half hour to get out of the park and back to the entrance. From there, we had to split up as we lived in different directions. We were both already late for dinner and knew our parents were going to be pissed. So we said our goodbyes and took off. It took me another 45 minutes to walk home. When I finally got there, I saw something that shook me to my core. My bike was chained up in its normal place along the side of our house. 
I walked up to it and inspected it. The chain was looped through the front wheel and spokes the same way I always did it. I started doubting whether or not I even brought it on the ride. If somehow I'd imagined everything. But as I walked past the dining room window on my way to the front door, I saw something more disturbing than the bike. I saw me. I was sitting at the table with my family. Only, it wasn't me. The version of me at the table looked like I'd been flipped. My hair was split and combed over on the right side as opposed to the left. And I was using my left hand to eat with my fork instead of my right. I watched the mirror version of me eating and interacting with my family. Smiling, laughing, talking. He fit in perfectly. Almost. Then he locked eyes with me, and the smile disappeared. This is fucking awesome. Yeah, imagine... So this is something I've always thought about, like... Imagine seeing yourself. Yeah, doppelganger. Like, I... I a doppelganger I mean whether it be like from an alternate you know a parallel dimension or something like whatever yeah like that would be I I don't know I I think that would honestly be one of the scariest scariest things I could even think like even think of dude I mean there's nothing that freaks me out more than doppelganger stories so like just having that aesthetic that like that moment where you lock eyes with yourself yeah Ugh. and then like, and like you're seeing this guy he's all happy go get him and like whatever else and all yeah. of a sudden he sees you and it's just like dead yeah smile drops yeah dude anyone who's you know on the patreon knows like lots of my lights out stories have to do with doppelgangers and um the very first campfire classic i ever did was william wilson yeah which is about a doppelganger like i'm obsessed with that idea because it fucking terrifies me yeah but i mean like so in splitting away from this when i was uh i think it's probably 19 um i was in michigan at a festival called dirt fest um yeah and i'm not even sure if they still do them to this day but it was it was awesome and for those that aren't familiar with it was a music festival um and there was a there was a band there that uh, that i listened to and i was i was i was talking to them and one of the guys was like holy shit they were like he even at like even called me by another name yeah and i was like no uh no and they're like no you're you're messing with me i was like no like and they they couldn't believe it but i looked apparently identical to this guy from another band they even like had me like they asked to take pictures of me everything wow and they were like yeah they this is this is the craziest thing i've ever seen like i apparently i i looked completely like him to this day i can't remember the band and i hate i hate that i can't exactly yeah um you should you should send a message to the band you were talking to and find it right yeah like yeah yeah it's it's just i mean that's yeah it's crazy it's crazy to think about but like 
I think everybody else, everybody has someone out there that looks identical to them. Yeah, I mean, that's not a couple of years ago. Technically, a doppelganger, right? Right. But right, a couple of years ago, my sister was. Um, she went. She and my sister-in-law drove all the way to Utah or Nevada, something like that, to see like Tool was doing like a huge like three-day festival okay. thing, and they drove all the way down there to they did it on their lead singer does like owns a vineyard runs a vineyard and they did it on the vineyard grounds that's pretty cool that'd be fun them yeah yeah so um she was at this festival and sent me a picture or she was on the way actually she saw the guy met the guy at a gas station and he looked exactly like me yeah i mean exact it was crazy she took a picture with him everything it looked like a picture of her and i like i couldn't tell any differences between between the two of us it was it was a little bit scary yeah i i I can understand that for sure i think my response to that was get away from him immediately (laughs) (laughs) i've also been told that i look a lot like josh scoggin yes uh, from the chariot or or norma jean or any of those he but he, yeah. he's literally a part the of like everything yeah, yeah um yeah and he's written a lot of music and lyrics and stuff for other bands and yeah, yeah like dude he's does doing a lot of composing everything. for for movies now also yeah he's so doing a lot of like sound design for film but yeah you definitely look like him it's and i've i've seen like i've there a lot of people put pictures of us side by side like doing like yeah. the same pose it's, yeah, there are certain angles where you definitely look a it's lot like him. Very creepy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a that's a thing. I would say it's on the <laughs> it's on the level of like Will Ferrell and the drummer from Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know how they like they look very like you can tell the difference when you look real close, but hmm. they definitely look very similar. I want. I wonder if it's about the same as uh. Do you remember the drummer from uh, from Autumn to Ashes and Andy Dick? Yes, yes. They look exactly <laughs> I thought the same. that it was Andy Dick at first that was playing drums for them. No, yeah. it wasn't. It, yeah, I remember seeing them because it was really weird because there were two of those in one band. Because the drummer looks just oh, like that's Andy right. Dick, and, the, and vocalist, the vocalist looks just like Dave, Dave Matthews. Matthews. That's yes. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot Super about weird. that. Yeah, that was yeah. that uh, Silverstein show that we went to. Yeah, yeah. That, that damn. That's been a long time. Long time. It was like twenty years ago, dude. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Literally, I mean, I was I was sixteen. I think we were both yeah. sixteen at the time. So, yep. Jeez. All right. <laughs> Anyhow. Yeah. Only for a moment, but in that moment, I saw hatred and anger then it was gone and he rejoined the conversation I watched my mirror version stealthily slide his dinner knife into his sleeve as he laughed at one of my dad's jokes I had a feeling the knife was for me I had to get away from there I rushed over to my bike and unlocked the combo I was at full speed heading down the street within seconds Behind me, I heard the front door of my house open and shut. I didn't turn back. I pedaled faster, and ten minutes later, I was pulling up to Lewis's, 
there, just like mine, was Lewis's bike, locked up along the side of his house in the same manner as always. I had a plan to go in and get Lewis. He'd know what to do. Lewis's dad answered the door and invited me in. I noticed it immediately. Lewis was sitting at the table with his family. Only, he was different. The cleft lip he had scarred downward on the right. The Lewis sitting at the table had a scar that went on the left. It was a mirror version of Lewis. And no one in his family could tell. Between him and I, you can tell how little attention was paid to us. But we had big families. When other Lewis looked up and saw me, he knew I knew. I saw the same brief flash of hatred and anger take over his face. But it was shoved aside and replaced by a fake smile. I joined them at the table, and Lewis's mom brought me a plate. Outside I saw movement in the window. It was me. Other me. He was here. I felt trapped. I had nowhere to go. Then I got an idea. Over the next few minutes, I gradually keeled over more and more and started rubbing my stomach. I asked if Lewis's dad could drive me home, and he agreed. Outside as he walked me to the car, I turned and saw other me hiding along the siding of the house, watching. The drive there became increasingly tense as I started to wonder if my family was okay. Who knew what those mirror versions of us would do? But I got home and my family was okay. I kept up with the pretending to be sick charade and went down, went upstairs to lay down. From my bedroom window, I watched other me outside pacing in the shadows. Soon after, he was joined by other Lewis. I was trying to figure out a plan to make it through the night when something small crashed through my window. It wasn't very loud and no one came to check on me, so I guessed everyone downstairs didn't hear. I picked up the projectile, which turned out to be a rock, and found it wrapped in paper. There was a message written on the inside of it. Come out by midnight, or we come in and kill everyone. Jesus, that escalated quickly. Right. This is where it's it's getting dark. See, I I instantly thought, like, how do you know they're not all mirror image versions? Like, how do you know you're not See, the one who slipped exactly. through to another dimension? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question, for sure. Yeah. So, we're about to find out. Yeah. It was nine o'clock at that point. So I had three hours to figure it out. I went over the arsenal in the house, which was none. My dad didn't have a gun. Most of his tools were in the garage that was not attached to this house. I only had close combat weapons. Except there was one thing. Just one. It popped in my mind and stuck. 
I knew it would work as a weapon, or at least a distraction. I formed a plan. I'd come to the realization that Lewis was dead, killed by, by this other Lewis, and my twin was trying to kill me to replace me for whatever purpose. Two things were clear. The first was, they wanted me dead. The second was, the only way to stop that was to kill them first. Solid logic, right? I mean... Dude. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's also scary as fuck. Yeah, no doubt. Is there any indication of how old this boy is? Um... You know... I mean, he's still riding his bike around town, right. so... Uh, yeah, I mean, they were, they were still riding bikes. I, I could see them being pretty, like, 12, 13, maybe 14 yeah. or so, like, you know. I was thinking 12, 13. Right. Yeah. That's... Jesus. So, yeah. <laughs> Imagine, like, 13, and you're in a situation where you're like, well, the only way forward is to kill another version of myself. <laughs> yeah, man, like, that's... That's, uh, that's, that's pretty, like, that's, it's, it's rough. I, I don't even have words for it, really. Yeah. Like, just no. imagine being in that situation. Like, you're just a kid and you're like, well, they've, are, you know, these people that are literally mirror images of me and my best friend probably killed my best friend. The only way around yeah. this, I have to kill them. They're, you know, that's all there is to it. I mean, I wonder why his first assumption was that they'd killed him. Like, I would assume that he did the same thing I did and took off when he saw the But wouldn't you think that maybe Lewis would have came to his house? Yeah. I mean, maybe they took different routes and didn't cross paths. You know what I mean? But this is like 9 p.m. at this point. Yeah. He's already been to Lewis's and back. He rode on his bike. Yeah. And then got a car ride back. So, I would feel at some point he would have at least ran into Lewis. If nothing else, he would have been there, like, when he got home or something. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he's dead. And the bike was still chained up, too. That's true. That's true. That's a solid reason to assume he didn't leave. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, fuck. Maybe Lewis is gone. We're about to find out. Rest in peace, Lewis. (laughs) R.I.P., buddy. (laughs) With the idea I had, I waited until quarter to midnight before getting getting my supplies. With my secret weapon hidden inside one of my larger coats, I grabbed two knives from the kitchen. I planned to use them, but hoped I wouldn't have to. If I even had it in me to do so. I went to the window and watched the two outside. They'd spent most of the night on opposing sides of the house, but would occasionally join each other on one end and talk. They were in the backyard, so I went to the front door and took off down the street. I knew it wouldn't be long before they saw me and started to chase me but I just needed to get four blocks to the kids' park nearby, which would be the most empty place in the neighborhood at this time of night. My secret weapon rubbed against my chest, but I kept going, 
As I passed the halfway point, I turned back to check. They'd seen me, and they were in a full sprint to catch me. I had them beat, though. I had just enough of a head start to turn into the park and find my way to the back courtyard. I ran towards the bathroom shelter and went into the boys' room. I rushed to the far wall and pressed my back against it. I had the two knives in my jacket pocket, but it wasn't time for them yet. My left hand moved inside my jacket, holding the handle of the secret weapon. The bathroom door kicked open and the twins burst in. They slowed when they saw me, looking like a cornered mouse with nowhere to go. Other me led the way, pulling the dinner knife from a sleeve. Closely over his shoulder, Other Lewis did the same. They moved in on me without a word spoken. My left hand tightened on the handle of my secret weapon, and I lifted my right arm, straightening it, and pointing my hand at eye level to the attackers. Taped to the inside of my jacket was our house's fire extinguisher. My left hand held the clasp handle, and the hose looped through my sleeve, with the nozzle just exiting out from my cuff. Before the twins could stop, I squeezed the handle and held it down. The stream hit both of them directly in the face, mouth, and eyes. I shifted to the side, continuing the spray, but wanting to keep my location moving. They both went down, clutching at their faces and screaming, but the screams didn't sound like they came from human vocal cords. They were croaky and shrill at the same time. I wanted to move in on them with the knives I'd brought, but the fire extinguisher had done more than temporarily impair them. The fire extinguisher sputtered out, empty. The smoke that filled the bathroom began to settle. The twins were twitching, spasming out. Green foam was pouring from their mouths. It just kept coming. Their limbs started to stiffen. Then... They started changing. Their skin was peeling away, and the inside looked like bark. Strange roots and brambles sprouted out from from underneath. The human form they once had disappeared as they transformed into something unrecognizable. A frightening and warped series of knots and rotten bark covering lengths of branches. That was what they were underneath it all. I left them as they were. Whoever found that mass of impossible growths in the park bathroom wouldn't be able to tell what they were or used to be. Hopefully, they ended up in a green bin. I never heard more about it. Of course, Lewis went missing, and I knew that he'd never be found. It was heartbreaking to deal with, but watching his family search for him, I never even knew what happened to his body. Eventually I grew up, but I never forgot, which is why I bring this all up now. My son and his best friends go on long bike trips through the woods. 
and when my son returned home this evening. The crooked central incisor on the left side of his upper jaw was now on the right. Dude. Shit. Whew. Dude, I love that they took... I love that the story took the turn from, like, classic doppelganger or, um... Or alternate universe to fucking fairy changelings. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, that's that was, that's the like that's the real kicker, right? Yes. As they yeah. start yeah, changing into like these like tree like yeah, just Yeah, vegetation. It's awesome. Yes. Super awesome. I love it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. What a great fucking story. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely fun and playful. So yeah, I'm. You know what that reminded me of? That reminded me of a really good Goosebumps book. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, very. Yeah, it's very much. It, it would read. I literally read like one of like a yeah like an old Goosebumps. Yeah, that's awesome. I agree. You know, what? I think I just decided on Halloween night I'm gonna read a Goosebumps book to my kids. There you go. Yeah. I was always a fan of the, uh, what's the mask one? It's like one of the very first ones in the series. Yeah. Um, it's like the haunted mask or something. I, I can't yes, remember. Car- I think the that's girl's not- name is Carly in the book. Yep. Yeah. The haunted mask. Yeah. One, one of the best in the, like the whole series. I, and I even loved it when they turned it into, uh, like one of the actual episodes for the TV show. They did really, yeah. really well with. But yeah, dude, that story was awesome. I agree. I, I loved agree. it. Definitely, uh, you know, took a took an extreme extreme turn. But I love because changelings are like some of the scariest versions of the doppelganger concept. Like it just being switched in, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you don't get to have the life you were supposed to have. This is this thing is coming and replacing you. I like that. And I mean it's a it's a terrifying terrifying concept, but yeah. Fantastic. Also the belief in changelings that went on, that's a pretty horrifying like true like true story about how that was used to like it was sort of a it became like a vehicle for some pretty intense like child abuse and neglect that took place during that time period. Yeah. Like they would accuse Yeah, they would basically accuse these small children of being changelings and the only way to reveal them was to like torture them, basically. Well and like now it's we a know pretty fucked up story. All you need to do is spray them with a fire extinguisher. Yeah, that's it. And then they turn to trees. <laughs> <laughs> just make sure you don't do it in your house right well <laughs> it's true yeah <laughs> do it in the backyard unless you're like trying to like build like a nice garden area in the middle of your house yeah yeah, yeah. that could be an you know interesting focal point true for like a dining room or a study <laughs> <laughs> and here's our courtyard it's uh developed last week that's all right. You'll notice the rest of the house isn't quite done yet. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it for this terrifying episode. 
Yeah, dude. A Friday night fright. Again, enjoy. Enjoy your Halloween, guys. Yes, happy Halloween. Yeah, let us know what you did. Let's start uh, let's start some conversations. Yeah, hit us up on the socials. Go over to our Facebook group, actually. Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling fan page. Yes. Go over there and just let us know. Let us know how your Halloween went. What you did, what you dressed up as. Best candy you got. Yeah. All, all, all of there. the above. And then also, yeah. be on the lookout for some watch parties upcoming. Yes, definitely. I'd like to pretty much like get into a groove of spending, let's just spend the holidays having watch parties with people. Yeah, I'm into be, it. Yeah, super fun. Yep, for sure. If you're into that, go over to the Discord. Get involved. Yeah. I will post it everywhere when we when we yeah, set absolutely. up. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Just be on the lookout again. Enjoy your enjoy your holidays, guys. And thank you for listening.